Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello world, how are we all? How are we all? Episode 192 of Join Up Dots. And I say this on every episode, why would I not? But today's going to be a great one because I've already um, been chatting to him and in, in the way that two Englishmen get together over a couple of pints, we, we got a bit bitchy to be honest, but um, we, we won't share what we were talking about, that's just between him and me, but I can tell there's going to be a good vibe on this show because he is a man who from the very early stages in his life had the hustle muscle working overtime. We loved the hustle muscle on this show. At the age of nine, he would sneak comics into school to sell them to his classmates who couldn't get enough of the latest adventures of their favourite characters, so would cough up their hard-earned pocket money for the privilege. And I suppose it wasn't a surprise that he could see the way to earn a buck or two, as both his parents were successful entrepreneurs. And being surrounded by people who do things their way and work to achieve things is, as we know, so hugely powerful to your own development. So with a track record of a range of ventures, including a nightclub promotions company, a modelling agency and a fashion line, he is attempting to find the thing that brings all his hustle together and creates the future that he deserves. And now more recently, he's been managing his own financial advisory firm, Four Dice and Playle, and a new online estate agency, Market My Property. But if you think that this episode will be about a young man who's working solely on his own life and becoming an entrepreneur of note, then think again, as with his passions ranging from animal healthcare, children, and even appearing in the famous Mao's Checkham Cancer Calendar, he's doing his best to give back to the world. So where does he see his true value to the world being directed at its highest level, and does he feel that he's on track to achieve his dream of being the youngest entrepreneur to sit as an investor on the BBC's TV show Dragon's Den? Well, let's find out as we bring onto the show to start joining up dots, the one and only Tom Webster. How are you, Tom? Yes, very well, very well. Even better after listening to that introduction. Wow. <laughs> it's a biggie, isn't it? It's a biggie. I, I, do, I do a lot of stalking. I like to sort of dive around and find things about you. And uh, it's funny, actually, because so many people will say to me, uh, oh, how did you find that out? Because they, they, they forget <laughs> there's something called the online world. And when you've been in it for years and years and years, you, you put things on, don't you? And there's pictures, there's bad photographs of haircuts. And there's oh, there'll bra- be some terrible ones on there of haircuts, I can assure you that. It, oh, well, I, I didn't find any too bad. I've, I've, <laughs> I've got one on the show notes, which you might want to censor, which is a kind of kind of quiffy look you've got going on. You're, you're leaning nonchalantly outside a property and you look about... I don't know about fourteen, really, with this this big big quiff. Is, is that is that the hair that we've got at the moment, or have you moved into? Yeah, that's recent. That's uh, yeah, that was only a few weeks ago. That photo. So that's all right. That's that's good hair, then, isn't it? Isn't that how it should be? Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> Did you do what? What's the worst ones you've had when when you look back? Have, have you ever had a mullet? I, the worst one I ever had is we was in sixth form and me and my mates we all bet each other to see who grow our hair the longest and we called it the mullet challenge and uh, it was it was me and, four, and three others and I definitely looked the worst the whole way through and uh, and and I thought what we'll do is we'll try and see if I can win it early and I'll get everyone to dye their hair as sort of like a charity and and sort of a just just to see if if that would do enough for them to think no this has just gone too far now 
and and again we all dyed our hair and then again mine looked worse so, so out of the whole challenge I ended up losing but this blonde long hair that sort of went over my eyes um, and it just it, it just was the worst thing that could have ever happened but is that is that a point to your character that you're willing to put yourself out there and sort of quote unquote make yourself look a bit stupid without the fear of of people coming back at you Oh, definitely. I think um, I, it's quite difficult to embarrass me, um, but but then I think that's a part of, without sounding too arrogant, I think it's part of my charm is the fact that I'm quite happy to put myself out there and do things that, that I think are fun, um, even if some people might think they're stupid. And I've always been a big believer that, so you know like when you're on holiday and you're in sort of then camps and people go up on stage and, and you'd be really nervous before you went up there thinking, oh, everyone's going to think I'm really stupid and you're doing all the silly things. But you've got to realise that everyone in the audience is laughing and enjoying it and they don't think you're stupid as long as you give it 100%. And I think it's a reservation we all have, especially as Englishmen, that if you put yourself out there for ridicule, you're going to get ridiculed. But I think people don't realise that it's not it's not a negative thing. It's people enjoying a laugh. And I think as long as you're doing it in the right way, then then there's a lot of fun that could be had by putting yourself out there a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I know that vibe for holiday camps and stuff. In in England, you would go to these very dreary caravan sites and the only kind of entertainment in the evening was either sitting in the caravan looking at each other when the rain lashed down or going to some kind of bar where they were doing bingo and some guy would get up and do a bit of singing. It's kind of pre-karaoke times. And they would always do these kind of talent competitions where they would get people up just to do the most bizarre things and yeah you, you you'd sit there and you you lived through them and you what you never sort of ridiculed them yes sometimes you would laugh at them but you were kind of proud that they were giving it a go because you wouldn't give it a go yourself you was living through exactly them that. somehow i think and i think that's that's the big thing is everyone has this reservation that if you put yourself out there it's going to be embarrassing and that people are going to laugh at you where, where the, as long as you put some effort in, I think people laugh with you, and they, and like you said, they sympathise with the fact that you've had the, the balls to go up there and do something, and and they like that. And then, and then what would then tend to happen is the next couple of days you'd be walking around the caravan park or or in Mallorca or something like that, and everyone would be going, oh, you're the so and so, yeah, that was really funny, I really enjoyed that. And and I think until you put yourself out there and and and, and take that, you don't get the positives that come off the back of it. Is that a learning curve for people out there? Our target audience is are the listeners that haven't made that movement. They're, they're frightened of making that movement. They've found themselves in a position, maybe a job or a relationship that isn't right for them. And for some reason or other, they are just staying where they are because they don't want to put themselves out there for fear of ridicule, for fear of people saying it's not going to work or just yeah, for fear of failure. Is, is that what people need to do? Really get out of their comfort zone as early as possible? I think that's the one. I think fear of failure is probably what holds most people back in life. Um, and and the, I don't want to sort of belittle anybody, but I think there, there's a difference between sheeps and shepherds. And there's a lot of people out there that are more than happy to go nine to five, work their, their jobs, go home, enjoy their weekends. And there is nothing wrong with that. But there's a, there's a big portion of society out there that are natural born shepherds. And, and it's, there's, a, there's a portion of those that are afraid to be the shepherd. And then they're, they're sitting there thinking, I've got this really good idea and I know it's going to work. But if I tell one of my friends or if I tell my family, they're going to tell me I'm an idiot and it's not going to work. And then, and then you sort of shy away and you don't ever do it. Whereas a conversation, most people will forget the conversation you had yesterday. So if you've come up with an idea, talk to people. And, and when, when you start talking to more and more people, you might actually start realising that a lot of the ideas you have are very good. Um, but if they're in your head, then you'll, you'll never be able to, to get them out. And so, so I'd have a dream, and then what I'd then do is I'd wake up and I'd write it down. And then, and then what you'd find is that a lot of the ideas that you have when you're sleeping are actually quite good ideas and then I then go to my dad and say dad I've had this another idea dad I've had this another idea and a lot of them were stupid but you've got to get them down and I think the minute that they come out of your head and onto a piece of paper um, that's when you can really start processing sort of some of the, the ideas that you have um, and especially with marketing my property um, I, it, I'd sort of kept an eye on the industry and then and one night I'd had a dream and then I woke up and and then I started writing some ideas down and then I thought right now I've got to get it all down and by the time that the morning come I'd, I'd written an entire business plan because just all these ideas were in my head and they'd obviously be all 
built up for ages and ages, but getting them down on a piece of paper is quite lethargic. So if there's anyone sitting there that's thinking, right, I've got this idea, and they don't know what to do with it, just write it down. Get as much of it out of your head on a piece of paper as you can. And then once you can see it, then you can start to process it. And I think, and I think when you then can see something, you're then not as afraid of the failure because you then think your idea is a lot better than what you did when you just had it as an idea. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. I spent years and years and years being a trainer and um, the companies would come up to me and say, we want you to create a course on a subject. And when they give you that subject, you kind of go, I don't know how to do that. You know, it's just like too big. But by actually jotting it all down, and I used to do mind maps and just sit there and spin off on different ideas and then scribble out the ones that weren't quite working. And you can get a structure. And once you've got that structure, then you, you've started to create momentum, haven't you? And you can start working yeah. with what you've got within that framework. And I think that says a lot about what you have done. I think looking at your history, you are somebody that is, as we say, willing to take the risk willing to be scared but you're also willing to structure as well and create something that you can then limit that risk and limit that fear of being looking stupid yeah yeah no definitely i think um structure is a big one because once you can work out where all different pieces fit into a puzzle then it's easier to do everything and think once you've got your corners and your sides and things like that and then and what you're doing is as you're writing these ideas down and putting them into some sort of structures you're actually building confidence in yourself and your idea because you it makes more sense when you can read something well for me anyway when i can actually read an idea or read a business plan it makes more sense to me once once it's out of my head because there's so many divergence and things that your brain could go into that having it on a piece of paper are things again really lethargic and, and it's, a, it's a great way of getting that confidence built up did you work more from your head than your heart because I, i'm a heart person and i kind of go yes this sounds like a brilliant idea yes it's fantastic and then once i sort of actually analyze it i think oh really it's a bit stupid um do you go the opposite way is it your mind controlling that emotion as i as i have a problem with do you know, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think a lot of it comes from the heart. I think a lot of the times I, I have an idea and I think that's going to be the future. This is going to make me millions and, and that's going to be the way to go. And then I start, and again, I start writing it down and you start picking things apart. And, and I've always sort of considered myself as quite an ideas man that I'll have 100 ideas and if only two are any good, then I'll have a run with them. Um, and there's, there's loads of things that I could have done, should have done, um, things that I look back and think, actually, that one wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but it's a bit too late now. Um, so I think what happens is I get carried away with my heart and then my head then calms myself down and then picks the best ones out. My best idea I've ever had, and I've, I've had it for about 20 years, and I'm sure it's out there now, but nobody has ever seen it. And I've mentioned it a couple of times on shows, but it's the see-through toaster. It's the most genius yeah, idea. I was, I was literally, the other day I saw it. <laughs> and, and I had this idea maybe 20 years ago when I couldn't work out why I was having to pop the toast up all the time to see whether it was brown, when I could just stare through the sort of glass and see it go to the perfect colour. Now, that, that, that's a genius idea, isn't it? Genius idea. Literally, it must, I mean, it must have been two days ago that I saw it and I said, and I said to her, I can't remember who I was with, and I said, that's genius, that is. Why was that not from the off why was toasters not always had <laughs> a glass front <laughs> well I, I i i probably gave that away to somebody I, i'm gonna look into who, who created yeah, yeah, that for intellectual property rights yeah and i bet it's episode number five or something yeah. where, where i've blabbed <laughs> and the person's taken it as an idea and they're now james dyson or something so yeah. my, my my one when i when i was a kid and my, my best mate uh, dan king will tell you that we was well, you know we was like year eight so we must have been uh, about 13 and and the mp3 player had only just come out and and i said right the next thing is going to be a little screen that you can read a book on and you can go on to a napster type thing and download books and everyone i told was like no that will never work people like books i was going no this will be it i promise you so so I, and so me and dan always have a laugh and say i invented the kindle without without knowing it <laughs> And I was convinced, I was convinced the next medium of entertainment would be people downloading books, but no one would listen to me. Yes, see, yes. Yeah, we're forward thinking. I, I, should I share my big idea? And if it is go out it. there, I haven't seen it, but I just thought of it the other day. We go down to restaurants with our kids and the kids, once they've eaten their meal, they're not open to actually sitting there for a while. It's like, oh, should we go home now? And we go, no, we're out for a meal. 
You know, you don't yeah, just yeah. stuff it down your face and then clear up. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if you had like an electronic menu? So instead of sitting down and you've got like the, the cardboard menu that you open it up, it's like electronic. So you sit there first of all and you go bing, bing, bing and you press and then the waiter doesn't have to turn up. It goes straight over to the, the bar. But then it turns into like a game and the kids can sit there playing. Yeah, genius. Because once, once you've got them in... And then once the kids are entertained, then the, the, the adults will drink more alcohol and you make more money. Absolutely. You see, you see, that's <laughs> the way my mind works. So, so, so if we go back to the age of nine, what was, yeah. was that the first entrepreneurial venture that you had at school or was, you know, because I, I have conversations with people from the age of four that say, yes, I created my first business at the age of four and the age of five and stuff. Were you always going to be entrepreneurial, do you think? Yeah, no, I think it was always in me. I was always looking at ways of, always ways of doing different things. So whether it wasn't money, um, and a lot of the stuff I did was for charity when I was a kid. So with with the comics, it was me and um, uh, Carl Tang and Seb Stall, uh, two friends from sort of um, early years, and and we would sit there in class naughtily, like drawing comic books and drawing characters, and then people started then asking out. Oh, can you make me one? And they wanted personalised comics. And I realised if we started making a lot of them, that we could then sell them cheap. And then, and then what we managed to do is get permission to take control of the sort of the the lunch hall after it finished lunch. And then kids would come in and then buy our comic books for us. And we made about two hundred quid. We did really well out of it, considering we were selling them for like fifty p a pop. And um, and that was all for um, comic relief. Um, but but it was I chose Comic Relief after we'd done it so we'd made the 200 quid and the intention was just to make some money but then I thought well I've got this money I don't really want anything I don't really need anything and Comic Relief was on at the time so I said, said to the lads look do, do you guys want to buy anything is there anything that you want or should we just give it to charity and we all just decided no it's probably better off um, looking after somebody else where we were quite in a fortunate position that, that we wasn't wanting for anything which I think is quite rare for children <laughs> it's very rare yeah. I'm sitting there thinking my kids I, I can't my son his nickname's the squirrel because he is so <laughs> tight with his money he will spend anyone else's money but he's his own you can't get it Sounds out of <laughs> yeah you cannot prize it out of his fingers so to have 200 quid as as a kid at school i would have thought you'd be going yeah let's buy a bmx let's let's go out and go down the yeah. arcades and and have a, have a don't, life don't get me wrong. we did buy we did buy a few things we bought a few uh, packs of pokemon cards and things like that but there, there was a there was a good 150 quid Live left over the high life tom you've got 200 yeah, quid it. Your kids leaving school, you could have had women, alcohol, and everything, and you went for oh, Pokemon cards. <laughs> Good old Pokemon cards, and that, that was another one was selling Pokemon cards. Once you um, me and again me and Carl Tang, we built up a, a big collection, and then uh, and there was a shop in Eastbourne that was selling um, like imported Pokemon cards from uh, like Japan and Korea and things like that. And they were all different characters, all with um, Japanese writing on. So we'd go and buy them and then we'd bring them back into school and, and sell them for double the price. How, how do you get Pikachu? Uh, is it Pichu? Pichu on a bus. How do you get yeah. Pikachu on a bus? I don't know. Go for it. Pokemon. Pokemon. Brilliant. Love it. See, <laughs> that is the quality. That is the gold. That's the gold That's of the this episode. One. That's the good one. So, so your, your mum and dad being successful entrepreneurs, because it is true, isn't it? If you're surrounded by people that do things in a certain way, it is so hugely powerful to your own development because you can see that it's possible. And that's one of the things that people, it holds people back, that they can't see the possibility because it's an idea they've got, it's a dream they've got, but they don't know anyone else who's doing it. Now, you're seeing that your mum and dad were sort of hustling from an early age and doing things their own way. Did that sort of naturally tailor you to thinking, yes, it is possible, this is what I want to do? Yeah, well, without a doubt. It was never a doubt in my mind that owning your own business or taking control of the way that you made money was the only way to make real money and the only way to sort of, for me, live, live a happy life. I always, and then I never struggled taking orders, but I never liked it. So, so it's so even though I had loads of fun at school, it was the actual cl classes and and the, and being told what to do a lot that I didn't really enjoy. I did it, and I was a good kid, but it was always a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I didn't like being told what to do. Um, but it was it never affected me as such. And then I, the later in life, then it started to become a bit more apparent. And I think that was always from understanding that 
I always thought that I, I knew better in, in certain certain areas. Um, and I think that does come from having entrepreneurial parents that go out of their way to make sure that they're controlling their own future. Is it though, or is it just you? Because I, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, I was exactly the same. I would take orders from people, but especially if I didn't respect the person, I would struggle yeah, with it. I, I would do the thing and I would think this is just stupid. I, I'm not really sure why I'm doing that. So I always had that just inherently in me. So did you think that naturally, you know, that was just you? Yeah, potentially. I think where you just mentioned that, I think a really good example for me was um, IT. And I've always been really good with computers, really good with IT. And even when the first sort of computers were put into primary school, a lot of the teachers would ask me how things would work. And I think that was, I was only, I would have only been about seven or eight teaching com computers to teachers because obviously they'd never seen a computer before and it's brand new and, and I just sort of understood them. And, and I always thought that IT was going to be my path because that was the one thing that I was sort of naturally gifted at. And then I got to year... Or G, it would have been GCSEs, IT GCSEs, and we got an, um, a teacher who was really good and I was really excelling, and then she left, and then a new teacher come in, and she didn't know anything, and and I don't know whether I just took a dislike into her or just didn't respect her, like you mentioned, and my grades just absolutely plummeted because I just didn't put any effort in, and, and that was one of the big things that I regret was allowing other people to influence my behaviour, um, which is something I've learned more in recent years, but if I look back this there's certain moments in my life where I've let other people and their their influence on me change my mindset. And I think if I could go back and, and change that back to where it should have been, then then things would be a little bit different. Now that is what we call the big dots in life. That is the timeline in join up dots, those moments that you look at it and you go, yes, might not have been my sort of um, best time in life, but really it kind of defined me. And so the fact that you were seven and thinking this is fundamentally wrong you know my, my son come back from school the other day and he said to me i said to him you know did, did you have a good day at school and he went no not really because i had this conversation with the teacher and the teacher wouldn't see my point of view just said it's wrong and that's wrong isn't it dad and i said well yes. what, what was your point of view and he said and he, he said well, gave what it was i can't remember what it was now and it wasn't a black and white answer you know if it was yes or no i could see that the teacher could say no but it was just a different way of looking at something and the teacher was saying no that's not right and part of me was proud but my son was instantly thinking that is wrong because he's got his own mind and he's going to sort of That's work great. towards that. But it is a failure on the education system. And I'm not surprised that you had that as well, because literally every person that I speak to, and it doesn't matter in what country I speak to them, they all say that the education system really held them back more than inspired them to do great stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with that. I think, was it um, Einstein that said that if you judge a fish on its merits on climbing a tree, then you'd, you'd forever think that he's just stupid. Yes. I, think that's very, I think that's very similar to the education system we've got, is that everyone gets judged on the exact same standards, but everyone's different, and everyone's got different talents and different skills. Um, and I think that's a big thing, isn't it? Is, and it, unfortunately, I think it's, a, it's, it's sort of all we've got is being able to judge everyone on the same platform because it would be difficult otherwise because you need a level playing field for everyone to be sort of certificated on. Um, but I think it, it misses a load of opportunities, whereas a lot of people out there with a lot of talents that may be missed because the education system is, is a blanket. This is what we do and, and this is what you need to know. I, I don't know how you're going to fix it, really, but it does seem flawed somehow that I remember my education as being pretty much boredom just sort of sitting there and you'd occasionally get an amazing teacher but more often than not you would get the ones that would go turn to page 42 and jot that yeah. down in your book and you think yeah. even then as a kid I was thinking why am I rewriting this I've already got it there you know why am I doing that again and there was a lot of that now I look as it as an adult I kind of think to myself I was being trained to be bored so that when I went to work which the education system is basically a conveyor belt for people going into employment, I yeah. would be happier being bored for many days, weeks, months, or whatever it is, because I'd already spent the sort of the formative years, <laughs> nine, ten years, being bored on a daily basis. I can sense a conspiracy theory within you. 
it's 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 out there every single episode if you squeeze me hard tom it's gonna come out <laughs> i'm just like oh, I, a, lo- I love a good conspiracy me i do love a good conspiracy but it, it's true it's not even a conspiracy theory it's true it, what, what, what is the education system for is it to give you an education or is it to provide you with the skills to go into employment yeah yeah it's definitely employment i think i think we're we're fortunate in the western civilization that we have an education system that allows us to then get to where we are now and look back and have that judgment and be able to make them decisions ourselves where there's there's a lot of countries out there that either don't have any education or the education system so single-minded or weak that people then come out the other end and they can't formulate these sort of opinions that we can so you, you would be able to sit with someone else from a different part of england or even the same town as us and and they would have an opinion on their education that could be different than ours because of the way that i think western civilization allows you to make to make your own decisions to an extent and and i, and I think that's where we're, we're super fortunate so as much as i have a dig at it i think i think we are fortunate in the fact that we can have these sorts of conversations and, and, and formulate these sorts of opinions. I agree with you totally, but I would say to all the kids out there, if you're listening to this show because your mum and dad's got it on the, in the car and you're going to school, work as hard as you can because it's not going to hurt you in any shape or form. The education system is there to give you the nuts and bolts. But the yeah. thing that it fails on is the life skills, that extra stuff, that, that thing that will take you and make you amazing. And what I want to do, I want to play a speech now that I want all the kids out there to listen every single day before they get out of bed, go to join up darts. That'd be amazing for my downloads if they all do that. But <laughs> listen to this three or four times before you get out of bed and this will inspire you to greatness. This is Jim Carrey. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant, and when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. So that is what we, we need to get out to the world, isn't it, yeah, really, Tom? very powerful. He's, a, he's an incredible man, Jim Carrey. What part of your life do you love? No, I'm going to rephrase that. When did you realise that you were actually doing what he says and you were taking a risk on something that you love? Was, was there a moment, was there part of your history that you would go, yes, actually, this sort of hustle muscle that I've been developing is more enjoyable than being an employer, an employee? Um, I, I, I don't know. I think I was a little bit fortunate the fact that when I left, um, sixth form I went and worked for my dad um, and, and I always enjoyed working for my dad and, and what we was doing in financial services was interesting for me the money was good and there was lots of career aspects but because I was working for my dad I could always do things on the side so, so even though I was employed and, and, and working sort of the nine to five as it were I always had something on the go on the side to keep my mind active and I think I think I've always had that in me. So even when I was when when my dad's company unfortunately went under, and I went and worked for um, a recruitment company, and I went and worked for a digital marketing company, even at those moments, I was still doing something in the evenings on the side. So I think it's it wasn't a moment of I can't do this anymore. I now need to go and work on my own. I've always been doing something, and it was just waiting for that one thing to turn into something that I could hold on to. Um, and and that moment was when I was at. Um, a digital marketing company selling email marketing software and it got quite bad there. I was, I was selling a product I didn't believe in which was which I think is really difficult and, and, and near on impossible um, when you think that your competitors are actually better than you and you're trying to sell it and you and and I don't I'm, I'm a big believer in in loving what you sell and then when you don't and you can't convey that love and and even though I was I was hitting targets and I was making money and and I was doing some big deals it just wasn't sitting right with me so then I moved teams and and during the, the moment of moving teams the the attitude around me changed a lot in regards to sort of the the directors and, and how everyone viewed me in the office and I, and I just didn't like it and at the time I was doing a club promotion just on the side to earn a little bit of extra cash and, and it got to the point where I was like, you know what, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need someone 
to be giving me a salary. I'm earning enough money doing the club promotions, and I'm loving what I'm doing with the club promotions. And I just and I and I went in and I just said, look, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, and then I went out and then, and I was doing the club promotion stuff, and it was great. And I was having so much fun, and I was having all the control over my days. And you're only working uh, in the evenings and doing something that's that's fun. And 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 then that that was the moment that then really said the only thing that you could do is work for yourself. So, so you, at that moment, you went from the sheep to the shepherd. Yeah, most definitely. I, I, I think it, at that moment, I had the confidence to let go of the salary, and and I think and that that was the moment was like, well, I need to now earn my own living rather than allow someone to control me with a salary. Um, and and the big one for that was um, I'd made a sale to the NHS, and it was a really high-profile uh, email marketing campaign um, that was fronted by David Cameron, and it was the one where um, there's a bit there'll be a lot of um, expecting parents out there that will get emails um, from the NHS saying it's, it's week four, you should be expecting this, and it was me who sold that system into the NHS, which was really high-profile and really and great for my CV, and there was a moment where. The, the office all sat down and um, the commercial director was praising everybody's efforts in getting this deal through and he got to the end of his speech and he hadn't mentioned me and it was at that moment that I realised that my future wasn't there anymore and, and they'd pushed me that one step too far that I then turned around and said I'm not doing it anymore and a, and a day after I walked in with my, my resignation and I left straight away, I didn't, I didn't serve my notice and I said I'm not going to let anybody influence my life like that again where you're going to make me feel like I've not contributed when in fact if I wasn't there that wouldn't have happened and and it was at that moment that I realized I can't do this anymore I, I was speaking to a chap last night and um, he is a mind coach and so he looks at ways that we can break down the self-limiting fears and and the fears that we have so if you are frightened of spiders he doesn't believe that you are frightened of spiders there is some reason why you're frightened of spiders and he tries to find most that, that aspect of it and he said a, a brilliant thing that he said the most successful people have gone from being actors to directors. So the majority of people out there are actors and we go to the film and we get told what to do and we stand there and we do our lines, whether it's in a cubicle or it's in a sales position or whatever. But when you become a director and you realise it's you that's making your film of your life and it's you making those choices, then everything somehow comes together. It's cause and effect, isn't it? You're actually becoming the cause of of the good things and the bad things that happen to you and because you're pushing yourself in that direction and you get more experience at going in that direction a lot of the bad things kind of fall away and you you you, you make momentum and you look at it and you go i could never go back to this the position i was i want to be the director and you feel like that at the moment you're the director of your life yeah without, without a shadow of a doubt i think the, the only thing um which i'll touch on a little bit later in, in the sermon is um, is having a bit of freedom and and being able to make them decisions because because you have the freedom um, and I think that's the one is is when you become a director you you earn that freedom to be able to, to make mistakes and and I think if you make a mistake that's your mistake to make then you don't mind doing it and then because if you make a mistake and someone else is going to then give you a hard time for it I think that's a lot higher pressure than making your own mistakes because because that's where your learning comes from. You can't. No one in life has ever achieved anything. Can go back and say, "But yeah, that was easy. I've, I've, that's exactly how I planned it. That's exactly what I wanted to do, and nothing ever went wrong. And, and now I'm sitting in, an, in a nice big house and in loads of money, and that was brilliant and easy. It just doesn't happen. You you never pick up an autobiography, do you? And it's just a blank book that says, <laughs> "What a right. that would be good. Though. I think that would sell." So I, tur I turned up one day and I picked up the phone and then someone said, yeah, here's a million pounds. And then, and then that's the end. <laughs> but, but people will look at you, Tom Webster, because, you know, you, you're, you're rocking and rolling. I actually found you through an article on the Huffington Post, which is a big publication. And you were Entrepreneur of the Month or something last year, I yep. think, in August, which is a big, big statement. And people will read that article and they will kind of go, ah, yes, it's all right for him. Yes, it's okay. He's got skills that I haven't. Oh, yes, it's okay. And because we kind of like to see the the highlights of a life and we don't want to see the, the drudgery and the fears and the failures that lead up to it. We like to see the, the uber successful on the red carpet and think that's all right for them. 
but yeah. we, we're not going to make an effort because they've got some kind of skills and talents that we haven't. But that's, that's just rubbish, isn't it? Every single person out there, if you, you know, if you, it's, it's going to be hard. And that's the beauty of it. I was saying to my son the other day, he was saying to me, why are you working so hard, Dad? And I said, because I want something that other people don't have. And he said, yeah, but do you not feel like giving up? And I went, no. Because I realise when it gets harder and I work even harder, other people will give up. So there's less competition. And I don't know if he, he grasped that, but that's how I felt. And when you see these successful people, they are just people that have kept on going, going, going. They've had their breaks. They've had a bit of luck. They've got talent. And they ultimately end up in Die Hard 4 or something, you know. And <laughs> you, you kind of go, it was destiny that that was going to happen. Rubbish. It's just hard, hard work. As you say, the autobiography is never an open book. No. And the, the majority of multimillionaires, billionaires, etc., etc., so many of them have gone bankrupt. So many of them have lost money. So many of them have made the wrong decision. But it's the, it's the difference between making a wrong decision and getting yourself back up and fighting and keep going forwards or saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go find a nice steady job and see out my days. And, and it's, you, you get these moments where you either choose to keep fighting or you choose to call it in. And it's the ones that keep fighting that ultimately have the success. How do you do that? How do you do that? Um, I, don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think, I think there's a little bit that's got to be inside you. I think there's got to be a fire. I think there's got to be a desire. Um, my, I think mine has always been family. So for me, my ultimate dream is for my, when I eventually have children, for them to come up to me and say, dad, I want this and me to be able to say yes. Or for me to, or for my fiance to be able to say, right, I want to go to Thailand tomorrow and me to be able to say yes. And it, and it not be money that's stopping that decision. And it's the freedom that I want. And it's, and it's having that goal in mind that keeps me going and keeps me waking up every morning because I, I don't want money to ever be a, a talking point in my family. I want it to be, I want to be so mentally wealthy that if anyone wants anything at any time, that the money side of things isn't a decision factor. It's just, we want to do this and now I'm going to do it. Um, and it's having that burning desire and having having a goal in your head that you you think is important. And, and for me, it's that. Well, we're kindred spirits in many ways, but I am more focused on the time freedom than the money. I have spent all my career having to be up in London by half past seven in the morning, having to be here, having to be there. And now I'm doing this. I'm absolutely adamant that I'm not going to just create what I had before and I've seen it so many times that people become entrepreneurial and they are so frightened of getting the money in but they take opportunities left right and center and effectively they then hate their life as much as they they did when they were working for someone <laughs> and so with this show i'm absolutely adamant that i'm only going to do what i love doing and that's the bottom line and so if yeah. i then can go off for three or four days yes i will do that you know but it's got to be something that i love and a lot of people are saying to me oh you should just be taking this opportunity and you should be taking that opportunity and i'm going no i don't want that I don't want I've been there already and they can't quite see it they can't quite see it but when when you've got that in your heart as you're saying time freedom to be able to do what you want when you want it is so important isn't it yeah and I think that's what I was sort of getting at is is the money is a mute point in regards to it's the freedom that is the ultimate goal and I see that money is the key to that freedom for me and and it is it's all about being able to make decisions when you want to be able to make them rather than being forced into anything are you more entrepreneurial or solopreneurial so an entrepreneur kind of wants to build an empire and a solopreneur wants to build a lifestyle um a bit of both i'd say um i'd, I'd say definitely more entrepreneurial in the fact that domi world domination is is an ultimate goal um but I'd say that the, the, the driver behind that is for the lifestyle, if that makes sense. So it's, it's the, the world domination and, and the entrepreneurial side is motivated by the solopreneurial goal and mindset. 
I'm going to play a speech now. I don't play it very often, but it kind of touches on what we were talking about, how you just have to keep on going, keep on going. And this is this is from the, the Rocky film, Rocky Six. But it's yeah, a, it, I thought it, he was going to go Rocky. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, an, it's an amazing speech, and I, I love this, and I would play it on every show if I could, but it, it doesn't often fit in. But I think it says a lot what we're saying at the moment about just taking those risks and keep on going for it. This is Rocky. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. It's true, isn't it? You're, you're willing, Tom Webster, to be hit in the face. And you're willing to go down and get up and keep on going. And that is the difference, isn't it? Yeah, and even listening to that gives me goosebumps, and, and that's literal goosebumps. I'm sitting here with, with little bumps on my arms. It's, it, it's such a powerful statement is just to keep going and keep going because no one, no one doesn't get hit. No one spends their life without getting a punch in the face, and, it's, and it is it's exactly what you said. It's about getting hit and how hard you can get hit and keep moving forwards. Did you think you had to love it, though? I, because I now, when I listen to that speech, yeah, it, it's spine-tingling. It really is. And I remember hearing it in the cinema when I went to see the film. You, you can't not go to see Rocky. I'd go and see Rocky 15 when he's in a... Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got the uh, the box set. Yeah, you, you have to delve through those. My, my son went through the whole lot, six in a day. He started Rocky 1. And he once watched Indiana Jones' Temples of Doom, and he watched it six times back-to-back in a day. It's amazing what kids can do. Um, that sounds exactly like my brother. My brother, I remember when we were kids, and and he'll hate me for saying this, but it was Mary Poppins. And <laughs> and he he watched Mary Poppins constantly. And he was he wanted to be a chimney sweep, and then he wanted, he just, it was hilarious. And, and he got to the point where he'd watched the film so many times, I said, George, if you watch that film one more time, I'm going to throw it in the bin. <laughs> and th- th- does he still pull his trousers down and sort of dance like a penguin? Yeah, he does. Literally, saying that he's uh, he's an actor and he's um, he's over in Ireland at the moment filming for a, what will be an incredible film. And he in he does a scene doing the Charlie Chaplin dance. So where you've just said putting these trousers down doing doing the penguin, it's not too far dissimilar to Charlie Chaplin. So so obviously the show's about you, but he's somebody that's putting himself out there as well. And being an actor is the ultimate entrepreneurial journey, I would say, that you really have to take your knocks constantly. You, you know, you, you probably go to um, audition, 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 maybe a hundred auditions before you even get a sniff of anything. Oh, that- it's, it's incredible. That, I think, out, like you mentioned, out of all of them, there's no industry where you get rejected more than trying to become an actor or a musician or anything in the arts because because it's all down to perception rather than reality. It's whether someone perceives you to be talented or perceives you to be right for the role. And, and obviously, once it's perception, then there's no right and wrong answer. So it's, it's such a tough slog. And George is immensely talented in what he does, and I'm incredibly proud of him as a brother. And, but I think the, a big one for him was when he signed to a new agency, um, Curtis Brown, which is one of the largest talent agencies in, in, in the country and in the world, and, and that changed everything for him, but it was getting them opportunities to get in front of them people. And I remember the first audition that they lined up for him was Star Wars, the new Star Wars films that come out. And my brother is the biggest Star Wars fan that there is on the planet. And and his trivia knowledge of Star Wars is up there with the best of them. And, yeah, that's exactly it. And then and so, so his first sort of audition, as it were, was with Star Wars. And, and they arranged for a blacked out um, saloon car to pull up inside, uh, into London. Um, the window comes down. They pass him over a, um, a non-disclosure agreement to sign. Now imagine being 21 years old, having this sort of experience, thinking, I'm going to be in Star Wars. And he signed a non-disclosure. They give him a, a, a script with his name all on it so that he can't scan it and put it on the internet. Um, and then he then um, did the auditions, got really far, and then they changed the role on him, and they changed what they were casting for, um, from um, sort of a, a kooky character to sort of your generic Hollywood sort of actor. And at that moment, he was—he wasn't—he never showed any sort of upset or devastation, but you knew that that was a difficult one for him because it was the first big knock. And I, and I think that's given him the platform to be able to take more knocks because no knock's going to be bigger than him losing Star Wars, as it were. Um, and then I think that that's then given him the inspiration just to keep fighting forwards because he knows it's never going to get as bad as that. 
and it wasn't that bad. So as, as long as I can keep going. And, and then, as I said that, it, it makes me think that as long as you've got your health, then it doesn't matter what anyone says or whatever anything happens, it's all a bit irrelative because we've all got a, a certain time span on this planet and you could get knocked down, you could be fired, you could be made redundant, but you're still alive, so you've still got more opportunity to, to try something else. Well, yeah, that, and that is true, and that kind of gets me to the risky route. You know, this, this show really isn't about making everyone entrepreneurs. This show is purely about trying to make everyone believe that they can be happy. And whether they want to be in a job or they want to be doing their own thing or, or whatever they want to be doing, I believe that we're all on this planet once and so we should be as happy as possible. But that Star Wars story, it, it resonated with me that really, I suppose it's like Rocky as well, you have to take the blows because it A, it toughens you up, B, it makes you realise what you want even more. And if there is a third option there, it just kind of, well, to me, it just makes me more bloody-minded to achieve something. I think it's yeah, most because it's hard and I'm loving doing something, I want to do it better and better and better. And I, I actually don't think that, although it was a big knock, I don't think getting Star Wars at a, an early age would be a great career move because it's one of those kind of films that can go both ways. We, we saw the chat who was um, Darth Vader in the last ones they weren't very good and what's happened to him now you never see him anywhere so I, I do think that you, you've got to you've got to build it up don't you you've got to connect your dots and it's the people that have the long careers are the ones that haven't had quote unquote the overnight success they're the ones that have, have yeah. really worked it up yeah they've got a catalogue of a catalogue of terrible films and a catalogue of indie films and and learning their craft because I think acting is a craft. It's it's a it's something that everyone can do, but I think it's something that that when you've got a natural talent that you could build on and you could become better and better and better. And I think George has got that element of him that he's constantly trying to learn new skills and, and new things that can make him better. And I think a good one for my a good example of my brother is um, one summer holiday he pretty much taught himself how to play the guitar through YouTube videos. Never picked up an instrument before in his life and said, Look, I want to learn how to play the guitar. And he did. He spent six weeks solid training and training and training, watching YouTube clip after YouTube clip. And by the end of them six weeks, he could play the guitar. And that's just incredible. And he's done the same for ukulele. He's done the same for piano. And he, he because he gets a, a, um, a target in his mind and he won't stop till he's got it. And, and acting was one of them for George. And that's what he's pushed. And I think that's where our family bred that in us we, we, we're bred to believe that there isn't anything you can't achieve um, and I think other people out there might not have that support structure might not have that but it's still in everybody still everybody has the, the ability to do whatever they want to do it's just about doing it that is the real gold of the episode and I want all the listeners out there to just keep on rewinding round to about 45 minutes on episode 192 but if there's something out there that you want to do and you don't know how to We've got the opportunity of a lifetime. We've got the internet. And you can type in how to. It's the most powerful two words in yeah. the English dictionary. And somebody will show you how to do it. I basically created this whole show. I didn't have a clue. Really didn't have a clue. And I, I didn't know how to do the website. I didn't know how to record. I didn't know how to do anything. And I just sat there exactly like Georgia did, looking at stuff and researching. And it's amazing what opportunities we have got out there to create a kick-ass life for ourselves at our fingertips but so yeah, many people kind of feel that they should have these talents already and you don't need to you just need to have a passion and then go out and research it more than you've ever done before uh, we, we are so fortunate that there is so much content at our fingertips you, you could like you said you can learn any skill you want by just typing in how to and and it's incredible and I, I, I can't remember what it is but there's a there's a theory that if you've got an idea uh, or you oh, what is it it's if you think of something, it's already on the internet. Someone's already thought of it, and and it, that's but that's that's incredible because it's so powerful. Because it means that if you've got an idea or you want to learn something, there'll be something out there on the internet that could better your understanding of that because it is so content rich. And and when you are at work, you have got quite a lot of free time, um, and it may not be the free time that you want to give up. 
for example, you might be really busy and I've been in situations that 9 till 5, 8 till 8, 10 till 10 or whatever, I've been absolutely snowed under. But I've managed to make time by going in an hour earlier and using the computer beforehand or doing it through my lunchtime or whatever. And you can really create, as you were saying right at the very beginning, a structure for an idea that although it's new to you, somebody's already done it. And that's one of those things that holds people back where they kind of go, ah, it's out there already. It's the world. You only need yeah. a tiny yeah. few people to make a bloody good living. You really do. Yeah. Somebody was yeah. t- telling me the other day, you know, about, you know, well, we, we get sort of thousands and thousands of listeners. And he was saying, why don't you create a product to do X, Y, Z? I went, oh, I, d- I don't really fancy doing it. He said, yeah, but you imagine you sell it for $500 and you sell it for 200 people. That's that's like 100000 a year. You know, it's, it's a small, tiny percentage. And if the idea is out there already, that means that people are making money from it which it's it's mind-blowing that we have got this opportunity day in day out and so many people are sitting there listening thinking what shall i do what shall i do you tap you go on google you research you look around and you find stuff you find stuff and then one day if you look enough and you're curious enough something will go yes i think i could do that and then you're halfway there there's a there's a lot of schools of thought when it comes to starting up a business and entrepreneurialism and things like that and I think and a, and a good one that um, I think it was Peter Jones that said on Dragon's Den and he was saying that the, the some of the best businesses are ones where the product already exists or the service already exists and you do it better you do it for whether it's cheaper or more efficient just you do something that's already out there and you do it better because if you think you go down your local high street there'll be two Italian restaurants there'll be three kebab shops there'll there's not always just one of everything and it's about if if you don't have that idea of I'm going to change the world with this idea but you want to take control of your own destiny is to think what am I passionate about and can I do it better than what everyone else is doing and if you can answer them questions then it might be worth having a punt at going, going down that route that that is spot on as well isn't it really because you've already got an audience out there people are buying these things and so it's not hope marketing you know that yeah i would go to a kebab shop um how would i what what would i like to make it better and once again if you are doing a shop then you are sort of localized so i believe it's a lot more difficult and i wouldn't want to do a shop I just think to myself, for the sake of creating a website and going online, you've suddenly opened yourself up to customers in Bora Bora and New Zealand and, and wherever. Obviously, they're not going to buy a kebab. It'd be cold by the time it gets there. <laughs> but you, you have got that, haven't you? And I, I was saying to a chap the other day who's just been listening to the shows. I've been working with him. Harry, I'm, I salute you, sir. And he has just started learning how to build websites. He's never done it before. And... I said to him, that is the first start. Because if you can build your platform, then you can throw any idea onto it. And if you throw enough ideas on it and you solve enough of other people's problems, then you will make a living. Absolutely, I I believe that. And again, we are super fortunate with the internet that you have now a global economy where you can sell to anybody anywhere in the world. Whereas you only take back 15, 20 years and that just didn't exist. The whole world's a different place where there's so much more money opportunities out there than there ever has been. Oh, I like this conversation. This this is taking us in a different area because it's it's getting rid of the gatekeeper as well, isn't it? You know. Yeah. You could. You can bring you can bring your costs down. You can do it in your spare time. You, know, you can set up an online business and just do it in the evenings. Just do it the weekend. And eBay is a good one if you've got a product that you want to sell and you've got the platform of opening an eBay shop. Your overheads are tiny. You can start seeing if your product does have any traction, and then and you can sort of start really super small on the internet as well and work your way up. You haven't got to, like you said, buy a shop. You haven't got to invest a hundred thousand pounds to open up a new business. You could you could buy a, a dot com for five five pound and then and then you're away. I, I'm trying to total up what I spent to launch this show, and I think with equipment and everything, I probably spent, and I have done it big. I, I, I built a, an actual recording studio because I wanted a, a proper space to go. But away from that, if I was doing it in my own house, I probably have spent about sixty pounds a month. Now yeah. that, that's absolutely nothing, is it? No, that's that's an incredible, incredible achievement. But but that just goes to prove that you don't need masses of startup capital to be able to achieve something online so so what what are we saying to the listeners out here tom so they're sitting at work 
first of all, we're saying that they need to be aware. They need to start looking around. They need to start becoming curious of the possibilities. And then they need to actually work on it and research it and know it better than anybody else around. And then you build the structure and you can do all of that without spending a penny. It's just time, isn't it? Yeah. I did. A, a good one my, my dad said to me once was, why would I use your product over somebody else's? And, and as long as you can answer that question and be 100% positive that your answer is the best answer in the world, then the idea is good. Um, it's, a, another friend of mine was looking to, to launch a business and, and I asked him that question and he couldn't answer it. And I said, well, it's probably not the right thing to be doing. If you, if you can't answer that, that fundamental question, then, then it's probably not the right idea. But if you can and you're confident with the answer to that question, then you're probably onto something. And what so many entrepreneurs do in a, in a brilliantly effective way is create online email lists and then send out requests to people and going, I'm thinking of building this product. Would you like it? And if you would like it, what would you like to see in it? And you actually get your audience to actually tell you what they would buy. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And again, because you've got so many people that are online constantly, there's forums, there's chat rooms, there's online ask question services, and, and you can engage an entire community just by typing in a couple of things on the computer and pressing send. And then you get people as people are really willing to help. I think that's one of the things that I've learned is that people like to help other people. Um, and, and, and I learned that from when I was doing um, the cold calling at the email marketing, I did a bit of research in what is the best way to get past the gatekeeper. So when, when you're banging on the phones and, and you ring in and every secretary, every receptionist is saying, no, he's not in, no, he's not in. If, if you change your tact and you say, I wonder if you can help me. And as soon as you say the word help, something that switches in people's brains that are more keen to then actually help. And I think that's a big one, is, is people are out there that are willing to give you ideas, willing to help as much as you want, as long as you ask the right questions to the right people. I'll give you a tip for cold calling. I used to do cold calling. Get in there earlier than anyone else and stay there later than anyone else. And if, if you phone early in the morning, basically the guys you want to speak to, their PAs haven't turned up and they will generally answer their own phone and you get them. And then once the PAs go home in the evening, the gatekeepers, you phone again. And once again, they're the people working late, so you get them again. I used to find it was so much more efficient to do That's all brilliant. my calling first thing in the morning and last thing at night. And during the t day, just kind of swan around, really, and um, maximize your time. Get past the gatekeepers. Yeah, no, I think that's great. So just before we send you back in time, Tom, and put you on the sermon on the mic to find out what advice you would give to the young Tom, I've got a couple of questions for you. And number one is, why and how did you manage to end up naked holding your bits and bobs in a famous calendar? How did that occur? <laughs> um, that one, again, that's um, a bit that I'll get onto um, in, in the sermon is, is saying yes to more things. Um, I, I read a book um, called The Yes Man, um, so I don't say yes to everything. And uh, actually, talking about Jim Carrey, he did a film called The Yes Man. I love based that film. On the book. It's, it's a great book. The book's actually funnier than the film, um, and and that's coming from me. And I don't read any books. That's probably one of the one of three books that I've ever read in my life. And um, and and from that, that that did give me a bit more of a an open mind to saying yes to more things. And a friend of mine had applied for um, a TV show on Channel 4 called Coach Trip, um, which anyone that's sort of at, at home during the day will probably know. It's a, it's a really cheesy um, sort of uh, reality TV show where people travel around on a coach around Europe and then you vote each other off at the end of the night. And, and me and my mate Cliff Perkins, we did the show. It was an incredible experience. And then, um, and then once the show aired, someone then come to, to us and said, um, would you prepare to do um, a, a naked campaign for Macmillan Cancer Support? Um, and the, the campaign was called Famous Males Checkham about testicular cancer. Um, and, and just the answer is always yes. Uh, if, if, it's, if it's something that's one, going to be fun, two, going to be funny, um, and three, can help somebody, then, then, then the answer is always going to be yes. Should I tell you a fact? I can't believe I'm going to even share this fact with you because 
I, I have to remember, it's not just you and me talking, Tom. This is, <laughs> this is going to go live. But I, I once met somebody who used to do full naked calendars. And he was, he was a chap who used to stand there. And obviously, when it comes to men being naked, there's a certain desire to look a certain size which may, <laughs> may be in a in a calendar format and you're in a cold studio you're not gonna get if you know if, yeah, you, no, if you know what i'm saying Tom. To <laughs> so what he used to do and apparently this is the way to do it is take toothpaste and rub it down the sides of the thing that you want to um improve <laughs> and it takes the shading away and makes it look bigger well, I wish I would have had that information. Yeah, you, you don't want to go with the red and stripy sort of toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. or, or the stuff that's too minty. But yeah, that, that apparently is how they do it. And it, it kind of, yeah, it just does the trick. Yeah, well, I, I could have really done with that information. When you're in a very cold photo studio, and it doesn't matter how many times that you pull on something <laughs> to try and get it a bit more excited, it, it just doesn't happen. I never thought we would come to this point in this show, but that, that's, that's what happens on Join Up Dots. We go in any direction smile. that we want to. <laughs> and the very last question is, just before we send you back in time, do you think that all our listeners out there can have a kick-ass life? Yes. Fundamentally, yes. There's, there's the only thing that... And again, this is um, Jordan Belfort, the, uh, the investment banker from Wolf of Wall Street, and it's the, the only thing that's stopping you from succeeding is you. And I completely agree with him on that. And I agree with that as well. Well, let's send you back in time. And this is the part of the show that we call the Sermon on the Mic. When we send you back in time to have a one-on-one -on -one with your younger self. And if you could go back in time and meet the young Tom Webster, what advice would you give him? And what age would you choose? Well, we're going to find out because I'm going to play the theme tune. And when it fades, you're up. This is the Sermon on the Mic. The best bit of the show The Sermon on the Mic The Sermon on the Mic Hello Webster Jr. How are you sir? Um, yeah, I'm coming back in time to give you a bit of advice on how you can make the rest of your life a little bit better. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you not to let other people's influences control your mindset and what you want to do. Um, I remember when I was, uh, I must have been 13, choosing my GCSE um, choices, um, and you let other people tell you what subjects to take. And you really enjoyed history, but was influenced that that all you had to learn was dates and things like that. And and if you was to have done history, I know that you would have really enjoyed it. And it's the same with IT. You shouldn't have let that teacher let you feel the way you did about that subject. You should have ignored the fact that she existed and worked harder. Um, and it's the same with graphic design. You were influenced into doing woodwork because that's what all your friends did, where you would have really enjoyed graphic design. And it's about not letting other people's perception of you choose what you want to do um, and and I think that's that's a big one and then the second one if I could go back to time would be to an 18 year old me um, earning a lot of money probably a bit too young um, you took out a lot of credit cards loans to sort of fund a lifestyle buying nice cars and, and new laptops and things like that and what what you did with that is you stunted your growth consumer credit put you in a position where you didn't have control over your day-to-day -day because you had to work to earn money to pay back the money you'd already spent. And if you could make the decision and, and not buy them things at that time or save up and buy them when you could afford them, then the freedom you would have got off of the back of that would be incredible. And you've, you've put yourself back a few years by having consumer credit. And I know for a fact that if you would have not gone down that route or saved up a little bit or or chosen a cheaper car or however it would have been then you would be in a better position or you would have been a lot quicker into getting to where you are now um and then the other thing is is to say yes to so, so many more things is to keep the opportunities coming and enjoy everything that you do and and just have as much fun as you can do doing it tom how can our audience connect with you sir 
Um, you can find me quite easily. I'm on Twitter, so it's at Tommy Webster underscore. Um, I think I'm pretty simple to find on LinkedIn as well. Um, I think it's LinkedIn.com forward slash TP Webster, I think it is. Um, and, and like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I'm always open to suggestions and conversations and opportunities. So if anyone's got any ideas or anyone wants just to ask me questions, then please do feel free to get in touch. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody about anything. And you realise you might get an amazing toothpaste sponsorship deal now. Yeah, well, you never know. <laughs> it would be perfect for you. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up. Because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past is the best way to build our futures. Tom Webster, thank you so much. No, thank you, sir. Have a great day. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once... Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com, the only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.